I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. Today, I want to welcome Bill Simmons. Bill has quite the speaking background. There was a time in his life where he did 300 speaking engagements over six years. So I'm excited to hear what he's going to bring today. Bill is the founder of Thrive Business Operations. The firm provides fractional COO services, helping growing businesses that struggle with operational challenges succeed by integrating a fractional team and optimizing businesses through the Thrive Ops cycle. Their primary mission is to help businesses unlock growth through uh, smooth operations, improved communications, and increased accountability. Bill is passionate about helping business owners reduce frustrations and increase their profits through excluding and advancing their strategy, systems, and people. Bill, welcome to Leaders and Legacies. Well, thanks, Craig. I appreciate you uh, allowing us to be a part of today and uh, also respect the work you're doing and you know promoting leaders and leaving a legacy. Those are big topics to me. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. We were talking a few minutes ago and you were talking about, you know, being in the, uh, you know, the Baltimore, Maryland area, which always perks my ears because I grew up in Maryland and haven't lived there in a long time. But uh, then you said you lived in Columbia. And uh, the first question I asked you was, are you a spy? You know, and it's funny. It's what's with Columbia where it seems like Every other person there is tied to national security. Well, you have the NSA right around the corner, so it, it doesn't hurt to uh, you know get a lot of people that are you know in, involved in government uh, living in that area. So, and um, yeah, it was just a great place to live. It was actually well located geographically, and it just attracted a lot of those people that were a part of government. You know, and this is a little bit off track, and we'll get back on track here in a second. I remember years ago reading some stories about Columbia, and there were, you know, Columbia, for those that don't know, was kind of a, you know, one of the early kind of design communities, and it was supposed to be just this really amazing community. And it was going through a period where it was deteriorating. And one of the most fascinating things I saw was the story said that you would see people on the streets taking a baseball bat to the uh, and swinging it at the base of a light. And I guess it would make the the pole vibrate and make the light bulb go out. And, you know, do you do you know why they were doing that? I, I honestly do not. Uh, they were getting ready to do some drug deals and they didn't want the drug deals to be illuminated by light. Oh, yeah. OK. Um, and so um, but. We're going to touch on that because that's an important part of your story. But 
um, and what you were doing there, but let's, let's kind of go back a little bit. You, you started off in the business world. How, uh, what, what were you doing when you started off? Yeah. So right out of college, I started working for, for a retail organization that honestly no longer exists. It was a part of uh, similar to what you would see today in a true value or Ace hardware. So it was before the Lowe's and Home Depot, big box stores uh, kind of took off. And, um, you know, the company's headquarters were out of Butler, Pennsylvania. Um, but they, you know, we were kind of one of their satellite stores at the beginning very quickly became a, a buyer for the company. And, you know, I was 26, 27 years old, spending $20 million a year. And, you know, which in today's world and in, in business spending is probably not that much, but back in the eighties, you know, it was a big deal, you know, and I'm thinking like, why are you letting this young guy, uh, you know, do all these things. Uh, but you know, it, it really taught me a lot about leadership. Uh, I had a great relationship with the president of the company probably one that I didn't appreciate enough in real time, but in retrospect, realize how much of an impact uh, he had on me. He passed away a couple of years ago. His name's Harry Hammond. And I probably quote Harry almost every day when people don't even realize it's, it's, you know, I, I'm getting credit for the quote today, <laughs> you know, but uh, came from him, but worked in for about eight years, kind of growing up through the company, doing a lot of different uh, even even back then was a fixer. You know, the, the company would send me to certain stores or certain departments that were underperforming and, and saying, OK, let's let's do a turnaround here. So very early in my career, I um, was you know recognized and trained in how to really take chaotic things and, and, and organize them to be more effective, effective and efficient. And uh, so it was it was a great part of my life. You know, there's a couple things I want to ask about that. One, so you were you were overseeing twenty million dollar transactions in your twenties, and one of the things, one of the places my mind goes anytime I hear about large movements of money, I think about corruption and and the the risk of the desire of anybody when they see an opportunity to enrich themselves you know, to take advantage of that in an improper way. And, and that had to be a risk when you're buying that much, there's, you know, the vendors uh, are looking to ingratiate themselves to you sometimes in honorable ways, sometimes in dishonorable ways. How do you protect an organization from the dishonorable ways? Well, you know, I, 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 at the risk of feeling like it's common sense, we both know that in today's world, there's not a lot of common sense, but, you know, really it's um, no one person having all the keys to the kingdom. You really have to protect and have, you know, an open communication, open policy, and no one person being able to sign off on just about anything, right? There has to be checks and balances, uh, other people involved in transactions, so nobody is isolated from uh, those things. And, you know, not to jump off, but, you know, we've worked with clients um, that have had uh, exactly that one person who had too much autonomy and therefore that, that for lack of a better word, that corruption takes place. So really it's, you have to protect yourself as a business and trust is a big deal and you want to give away trust. I always add, I prefer trust over suspicion but you have to have trust with wisdom and trust with wisdom says you protect the individuals and you protect the organization. 
Well, you know, I, th I believe part of protecting the individuals is keeping them out of, out of a situation where they're tempted. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're all human. We all have temptations. And we all have those those moments when we're presented with the right opportunity, we may not make the best choice. And so I see, you know, having those systems in place as as being something that's thoughtful and compassionate for the people that, that are faced with those choices. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think you would always want to. That's why, you know, you share both that it's, it's you're protecting the individual and you're protecting the organization. Um you know, many people do things that they say they would have never done, but they just didn't know until they were in the circumstance to do it. Right. So let's keep them out of that circumstance. Let's keep them out of those situations. And I think that's, that's important to do to, to protect everybody. Yeah. And the other thing that you mentioned in that was, you know, you found fairly early in your career that you were able to create order out of chaos. Mm -hmm. What, what would you say is um, your, your kind of your magic formula there? What's what is it that you see that allows you to do it when others fail? Well, I think the key to turning um, chaos into order is clear communication and clarified expectations. I think a lot of times what happens is when there are when our communication is confused and our uh, and our expectations aren't clearly communicated, that's that's honestly the majority of where chaos comes from. Uh, I, I actually have a faith background, so I, I use Genesis chapter one, chapter two right away. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was chaos and 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 void with no form. And then the next verse says, "And God said." So, in other words, in the middle of chaos. In the middle of confusion, God spoke something, and then from there, order began. So I think as leaders, we have to be mouthpieces for effective communication and clear expectations. And when we do that, we can start taking the steps of turning uh, chaos into order. Yeah. Well, and something you said, I think, kind of leads into the next phase of your life. You said you you told me that you left the traditional workplace and you went off on a little you know excursion for a few years. Yeah, I did. I had an an opportunity uh, to work with um, you know teens and young adults, and took an opportunity uh, as an executive director eventually of a nonprofit uh, that focused on college interns coming for two semesters from August through September. We had a thirty three acre campus in in Columbia, Maryland, where we talked about there. And these students would come and we had an extension campus of various universities from uh, throughout the country. And these students would learn how to do both urban outreach and public school outreach. So I was young and skinny and had hair and I, I used to do uh, public school assemblies. If you remember those, you know, we would, you know, you know, and I always say it had to be a little ballsy to stand in the middle of a high school gymnasium with 3000 high school students and a microphone. Like you, you have to be, you know, you know, pretty quick on your feet if you're going to do that. And so our organization did a lot of that, and I, I ended up doing a lot of recruiting for the organization and obviously fundraising, and so it allowed me to travel quite a bit. But we were also teaching about how to make impact, and we were training students to think outside the box and to serve in ways that uh, they may not have um, uh, thought was possible. And to this day, our organization, you know, as a small firm delivering, um, um, you know, support to small businesses, Serving people, solving problems is still our 
mission today. And that's where, uh, as I was able uh, to be an executive director of the nonprofit world, really, you know, understood the impact of serving people solving problems. Yeah. Now, you said urban outreach. What, what does that mean? Yeah, so, you know, certainly inner city, you know, we were uh, really focused on Washington, D.C. and uh, from a variety of, of, you know, so much need in the inner city. So, you know, over our, our years there, there was a lot that we were involved in one aspect to another, uh, you know, having learning how to collaborate with like-minded organizations and government agencies and impacting children, impacting the underprivileged, uh, co- connecting where, um, you know, homelessness was a, 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 a big part of what we did. And so really, you know, children impact addiction, all the things that the inner city is impacted by. We did a lot of work in Southeast DC. So in those years, Southeast was you know, and, and still is today, but, you know, we were, you know, right in the mix of a lot of tragedy and um, also trying to, you know, be a mouthpiece for triumph on the other side of that tragedy. Do, do you know where uh, 295 intersects Pennsylvania Avenue? Yeah. You're, if you remember, there's a little gas station on the northeast corner of that intersection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 07, I had to travel back to uh, uh, the area. Uh, my dad was, had just been diagnosed with brain cancer. And I went back and I was going back to the airport. I was flying out of National at the very last minute. And I had to gas up my rental car. And normally I wouldn't gas up there, but I was so short on time. It was the middle of the day. I thought, oh, I'll be okay to gas up here. And I'm gassing up and people were walking by me. And the look on their face was, dude, you're either really stupid or you're really dangerous. <laughs> yeah, you, that, you, you stood out. <laughs> and that's Southeast DC. That's the area that you're talking about. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a, uh, we had fortunate uh, partnerships. One of our partnerships while we were there, uh, we had access to a building that we did outreach out of. It was right on the corner of Good Hope and Martin Luther King. So it's not, not too far from where you're talking about there. And, you know, certainly there was a, a lot of, um, you know, communication that I was able to kind of pull out of that to say, you know, here we are standing on the street, the corner of Good Hope and Martin Luther King. And, you know, today, here we are, it's Martin Luther King uh, uh, celebration today. And um, as listeners, maybe listen to this later on. But, you know, part of that was really impact. We were in a Anacostia, which was a very uh, devastated area. Uh, and yet we wanted to bring that message of, of good hope and having a dream of being a part of something bigger than yourself. And I think that's that's big. When you talk about leaders and legacy, I think the biggest thing is, you know, lead with a positive message that impacts one generation after another, right? And I think when we when we do those types of things, uh, even in the midst of an area that's chaotic, in the midst of an area where people aren't living their best version of themselves, we can bring a, a message of hope and we can bring a message of dreaming of a better future. That's That's incredible. Uh, just kind of a quick note uh, for those that, that are listening. Obviously, this episode is being broadcast uh, probably six to eight weeks after it was recorded. 
Uh, it's a very cold day in in Texas, and we've been getting warnings about power outages. And we just we just had a flicker. So if you heard some beeping, that's the UPS going off. Uh, fortunately, I've got it set up where um, we can lose power, but uh, I have a few minutes where we can keep the uh, the interview going. But if the power drops off again, the beeping will become annoying, and we'll have to drop off. But uh, now, what you're saying there was just really uh, powerful, and the, you know, for those that aren't familiar with that part, of, you know, DC, the area where you're serving, that's um, that's a that's a dangerous area, and you know, I used to drive through down one of the roads near there when I was going to visit my you know my parents down the eastern shore. And my parents would just straight up beg me to not take, it was New York Avenue. They would beg me to not drive down New York Avenue. And that's of course been gentrified and you know it, it's a lot different, but I remember going down New York Avenue and just seeing police cars with sirens blazing, you know, crossing over New York Avenue to go deal with whatever was going on there. And it was frequent. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, D.C. through the decades has kept that reputation, you know, just, you know, difficulties and challenges. Uh, I don't think they're unique to any other. It's just, you know, the, the, a lot of the um, uh, spotlight is on them. But, you know, certainly there are challenges uh, in the inner city. There are challenges in uh, these types of communities. And, you know, it, it, it's we're meant to bring light into dark areas and you know that's that's what we were trying to do now one of the things that you said in the the green room was that this period working in the nonprofit really teed you up to come back to industry and i'm uh, i'm i'm having a little trouble connecting the dots what were the skills that you learned doing that that are now helpful for you in helping other clients today well, I learned very quickly uh, when we went to D.C. that, and even earlier than that, but that in order for me to be effective, I had to learn better ways uh, to lead. And, uh, and, and, and one of the things that frustrates me is a lot of times I believe we're educated beyond our obedience. And what I mean by that is we learn things, but we don't actually implement and execute them. And so I try to put best practices into practice. And I had to because I was traveling at such a high rate. We had so much going on um, in the city where, you know, back then and, you know, tell myself on age a little bit, you know, online education was not what it is today. And so being a an extension campus of a college university was a compliance and an administrative nightmare. And so you putting all that together to satisfy things required me to be highly organized at an operational level. And what I would find is that as I would travel and maybe we did some school assemblies and we did a small tour in a particular county and hit all their high schools and other people were helping fund that. And a lot of times it was business owners. Well, we'd end up having dinner in the evening and, you know, with the other executive directors and, and, and community leaders. And people would simply say, so let me get this right. You're traveling three to four days a week. You're on campus three to four days a week. Man, I can't even leave my office for three to four hours. How do you do that? And in just informal conversation, started talking about, well, 
you know, here's how we plan our operations so I can walk away and hold people accountable. This is how we hire and share vision. Here's how we implement stra uh, 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 systems and processes so that things can maintain. And, you know, honestly, in the nonprofit world, you're kind of known for, you know, just meeting needs and moving on. It's It's not known for you know, super organized systems and processes. But here I was talking that conversation and then would, you know, because our heart was to serve to be able to say, you know, well, maybe we could come back and I could do a, a, you know, a retreat with you and your team on how to do X, Y, and Z, or we could, or I'd be happy to meet with you to, to navigate, you know, kind of organizational structure and, and how you operate. And so from there, became, you know, basically see a need, meet a need and was in beginning to see how organizations could benefit from the things that we could bring to them. Well, you know, the other thing I think of when I think of the nonprofit world is there's always more mission than there are people or dollars. And so I think there's a, a natural level of chaos in the nonprofit world because there's so much mission to be accomplished with so few people to be uh, to accomplish it, would you would you say it was true? Yeah, I would, and and I think sometimes we can get sucked into the uh, to that. So one of one of my favorite sayings uh, in relation to that is, um, you can't do everything, but you can do anything. It is your job as a leader to narrow down what the anything's are going to be, right? So so what happens is is as leaders of mission based organizations. You just like you see all the needs, man. We want to do everything. We want to do everything. Well, you can't do everything, but you can do anything. So just decide what the any things are going to be. Narrow your focus and sell out to that to make the biggest impact you can on on those narrow anything. So I think I hear you. I, I do agree. You know, people and 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 funding is a big deal in a nonprofit world. But I think people are wanting to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So if you have a big enough vision, share it and it will attract the right people. And if you really believe that what you're doing is worthwhile, I just, I constantly, and it, it, it doesn't mean you, it won't be the 11th hour in funding, but funding always comes, right? And, and you always end up meeting the need. You know, there's a theme that I'm saying, it started with your first job out of college, you discovered that you could go into chaos and bring order to it. And then you move into the nonprofit world and there's chaos, but it sounds like you brought order to it. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, that, that's, that's pretty cool. And so now as you work with people, because that's the description of so many business owners, so many entrepreneurs are just, life is chaotic. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said. Uh, you can't do everything, but you can do anything. And how does that apply as you coach businesses now? Yeah, I think it's narrowing the focus. And um, one of the biggest things that we really focus on today is how to help run a business 90 days at a time. And uh, I believe business is a marathon of sprints. And every segment of the sprint is about a 90 day you know, that quarterly rhythm. We um, uh, call those quarterly sprints as a, as, as a process and how we deliver our fractional COO services. But it's when all these things that we could do, let's narrow down in a, a 90 days at a time, what are the priorities and objectives that we want to um, pursue? And then 
part of our role as fractional COOs is to help lead the execution uh, to those objectives being accomplished. Some people use the word the, the term OKR, I'm saying objective, but really what it comes down to for me is outcomes. Define what outcomes you're wanting 90 days at a time. So we've systematized prioritizing. And if we can help prioritize, then that's where we're deciding the any things, right? We could do all these different things. What what have we determined to that are going to make the the most uh, beneficial results in the next 90 days based on our larger uh, vision and goals, and let's pursue those. And I think when we have a, when we can come into a company and help be a voice to that, that's the beginning of chaos uh, turning into order. Now, there are some people who are listening, and when they hear you talk about these quarterly sprints, they th- their mind is thinking that you're talking about a quarterly financial report and aligning your efforts to that quarterly financial report. But I don't think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's 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 turning strategic planning into a living document that you're constantly running your strategy in a way that you're 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 getting execution. One of the biggest frustrations that business owners have is having that 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 moment where you're sitting in a meeting going, hmm, I feel like we've talked about this. Was it six months ago we had the same topic? And didn't we brainstorm then how to fix it? Why are we still talking about it, right? And it's those moments that you're like, I think I'm really pissed now because I've had this conversation. This is not a dream. This really happened. And so our thing is to take those strategy conversations and turn them into execution from an operational perspective. Now, certainly finance is a part of that. We operate on the nine functions of a business. We look at that. And again, I could give you five books that all have the same, you know, similar you know, verbiage about business operating systems and, and different functions of, of a business. We we do it in a way with, with those nine, there's nine squares, but operations is at the center touching all the other areas uh, in order to centralize strategy and execution. So from a COO perspective, we shouldn't be running your sales, but sales shouldn't be a silo either. It should be a part of the the, the overarching uh, strategic direction of the company. Same thing on HR and people management, same thing on finances. Are we, are we assimilating strategy to all work together to accomplish the results that we're looking for. And so certainly we want it to align financially, but it's 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 much bigger than that. But it's also a big part of that. We're not, we don't need to be needy and we don't need to be greedy, but the real reason we all got into business was to make money, right? Unapologetically so. Let's don't let's don't let's don't be insecure about it. Just don't don't be needy, don't be greedy, don't be a jerk, right? <laughs> and, I, and I clean that up. But um at the end of the day, we're building a business that's meant to hold financial results. We're doing everything we can to increase our capacity to be to create as much revenue as we can, to create as much profit as we can, to create as much cash flow as we can. All of those things are important. But if we don't get the people thing right, we don't get the marketing and sales thing right, we don't uh, we don't get our, our actual financial management right. A lot of people simply lose. They're, they're good at making money, but their financial management is so poor uh, they they can't ever seem to get the traction they're looking for as a company. And so we want to align all of those aspects and make sure that they're, they're, we, we don't have chaos in silos of different business functions, but we're assimilating it in a way to execute at a high level. Yeah, and let me give another plug for quarterly sprints, because when I work with clients, this was a, one of the most powerful things I did was move to quarterly sprints. 
And what I found was before I did that, whatever we were doing, there was always more to do. And, and so when we would accomplish something, we then would fixate on the next thing. And the thing that was missing was a clear <clears throat> declaration of accomplishment and a sense of accomplishment. And one of the things that I love about quarterly sprints and our clients love them as well, is at the beginning of the quarter, we set out goals. We get to the end of the quarter, we review how did we do against our goals? And if we met or exceeded our goals, that gives us a moment to celebrate mm -hmm. that we were missing before when it was just continuous, do more, do more, do more. Yeah, I, I find high capacity leaders don't celebrate well, to be real honest. <laughs> you know, most most of the time we're like mission accomplished, move on, like mission accomplished, move on. But our team needs us to celebrate and uh, part of trust building and and building a team that executes at a high level is taking the time to evaluate and celebrate what we've accomplished. And so that's, that's a very important. Bill, this has been absolutely fascinating. What an amazing journey that you've been on. And I, I love the principles that you've laid out. Uh, I'm sure somebody that's listening wants to reach out and have a further discussion with you. How do they reach you? Yeah, the best thing to do is to you know go to our website, thrivebusinessoperations.com. You can meet with myself or my business partner, Kai Bailey. She is a phenomenal part of helping lead our firm uh, in a way that really resonates with our, our clients. And, um, you know, we, we would love to connect, but you can also find me on any of the social media platforms, whether LinkedIn or, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Bill Simmons Live. If you look for that handle, you'll find me on any platform. Excellent. Well, I do hope people reach out. Bill, thank you for being on Leaders and Legacies. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. And it means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you wanna know more, please go to alliesforme.com uh, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.